You're listening to All Things Video, a podcast dedicated to uncovering the past and charting the future of the online video ecosystem. This episode is brought to you by Epidemic Sound, the company reimagining music licensing for the digital age. Epidemic's library contains tens of thousands of tracks that you can license a la carte or on a subscription basis. Unlike other music licensing companies, Epidemic Sound owns its entire catalog and makes tracks available via one straightforward license to cover all your needs, worldwide and in perpetuity. No more headaches around usage reporting, performance royalties, or murky rights ownership. It's better for the artists and better for you, the creator. So whatever your music needs, Epidemic Sound has got you covered. You're listening to All Things Video. I'm your host, James Creech, and today's guest is my friend Guga Mafra, co-founder of Amazing Pixel. Guga, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited we get to do this too. Yeah. Uh, and a little intimidated, if I'm going to be honest, because really? you are <laughs> yeah, you're a fellow podcaster with uh, an extremely successful show. So why don't we start things off? Tell the audience about GoogaCast and what inspired you to start it. Yeah, of course. GoogaCast is a talk show. We talk about epic stories in people's lives. So sometimes you have a guest and they, they, tell, they, they tell the stories or sometimes people write emails and we read them live. It's really great. We're number one Spotify in Brazil. It's amazing. It's really fun. People love it. Uh, we have this exclusive content for subscribers, and we're getting a lot of subscribers every week. So it's, it's going great. Yeah. How do you find the people whose stories you feature on the show? We just ask them. Uh, we, we just ask people to write their stories to our email, and they do it. The stories are getting better and better. So it, it's really hard, actually. It's really hard to, to make the cut, you know, to choose what's going to be in the show. I bet. Because, because they're they really good. They, they, the stories are getting really, really good. People love it. And we sometimes we create uh, T-shirts based on the stories, and they sell really well. Uh, it, it's amazing. I, 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 could, I can't believe yet that we're doing this, that this is happening, because it's so cool. It's like, it's like Wayne's World. Right. <laughs> That's right. Sounds like That's how it feels. Yeah, such a fun project. Yeah. And um I was going to mention that I have listened to the Google Cast a bit, though admittedly my Portuguese is not what it should be. So, for anyone out there who does speak Portuguese, I recommend that it sounds like it's a phenomenal program. Yeah, and if you want to learn, we should do one in English. Maybe maybe yeah. with you. Ooh. There we go. We'll collaborate on it. That sounds like yeah. a, a lot of fun. Let's do that. Cool. So let's, I, w- I want to dig into, uh, you know, to start things off for All Things Video, talking about the way we met, which was about two years ago through Amazing Pixel and your, your involvement in the digital media world. How did you kind of get your start in the advertising space? Well, I used to be a copywriter and, and also a creative planner. I, I used to work in a small agency. And, you know, in a small agency, you wear several different hats. And I used to work mainly as a copywriter. And also as a creative planner, and I used to, you know, create these strategies to, and we have a good clients like Coca-Cola was a client, so they were good. And we, we used to create this online strategies, mixing so, social media and stuff like that. And it went really well. But after a while, this agency that I was working for, they, they lost an account, very important one. And I was fired because of that. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I ended up working for this company called FTPI, which was on the same building. That's the reason they hired me. Because <laughs> that worked that, out. Yeah, that, that's how they know me. They know me from the from the elevator. 
So they knew that I was being fired and they, we have to hire, to hire you. And I ended up being the marketing manager. And FTPI was a sales representative for newspapers and, and radio stations in Brazil. And they were perceived by the audience, by the market, as a very old, old-fashioned company because, because it's newspaper, you know? And I told them that they need to work in the online space with uh, digital, with uh, sites, websites, and social media and stuff like that. And they said, well, you know what? If you came up with a business plan for digital media business unit, and if this business plan is good, we're going to do it and we're going to make you partner. Wow. Yeah. And they did just, and that happened because this is such like not likely to happen, right? Sure. And it happened. And it was uh, successful. I mean, we created FTPI Digital and we became this very innovative sales representative for uh, websites and blogs and, you know, social media creators. And after a while, we bought one of our clients, which was Boobox, which was a net network. And then we became Boobox FTPI. It was a merger and the, both companies became one. And then we started representing uh, larger platforms like Spotify and Tabula. Those are different companies that we represent back in Brazil. That was really fun. I mean, we, we became a very big company, but after a while, and I was the CEO, which is weird. <laughs> and I was going to say, you must have been pretty young when all of this was happening. Yeah. Yeah. It took like six to seven years. Uh, I, I just told you six to seven years of my, my story. Anyway, I became the CEO and becoming the CEO of a company that grows that fast is really, bo I mean, during the, the story, during the, the actual growth, it's really fun. But after that, it becomes really boring because you only doing like spreadsheets and talking with uh, lawyers and, you know, CPAs. Yep. And because of that, I decided to step down and focus on this side project that we have, which was Amazing Pixel. Amazing Pixel was founded by me and two of my clients at the time, Dave and Alexander. And they run a site in Brazil, they run a website in Brazil called Jovem Nerd, which means the young nerd. And they're very successful. They were really good at what they do. So they, they have like the most important podcast in Brazil. They have one of the most engaging YouTube channels and they have like a, a high audience on their website. So they were my clients and they were really good in what they, they were doing. And at one point, I went to a meeting at YouTube with Alvaro which is today the head of YouTube space in, in Los Angeles. I don't know if you know him. No, uh-uh. Okay, Alvaro was the head of YouTube in Brazil. And I went to a meeting with him because I was trying to sell, I was trying to get YouTube to be a sponsor on an event that ended up not happening. But, and he was like, yeah, okay, I'll do that. I'll sponsor your event, but I'm really impressed with what you're doing with those guys. How can you sell those guys that much? How can you have so many brands advertising in all of those social media accounts and all of those YouTube channels? And I said, well, this is what we do. This is how, this is our approach to advertising. And he was like, you know what? You should have an MCN. And at that time, we are being approached by MCNs who were eager to work in the Brazilian space. Machinima was there. Full screen was there. Maker was there. They were trying to establish themselves in the Brazilian YouTube space. I mean, the Brazilian video space. 
And they were not being very successful because people were starting to perceive them as those guys that come, get a cut from their revenues and do nothing in exchange. Mm. And is it true that perhaps they didn't understand the local culture and language and have really the skills or infrastructure to support local partners? Well, that's half true. I mean, Maker did make your partner with with a local company and and succeed affiliating channels. Full screen had a very smart guy running the operation in Brazil, but they didn't have, you know, the resources to really attract the Brazilian channels. But anyway, they were being perceived like that. The channels were starting to, you know, when, when the channels started to posting videos trashing the MCNs. That's right. Yeah, that, that was that time. It was about that time of, you know, of history. Uh-huh. So what was your reaction when YouTube comes to you and asks you or invites you to become an MCN? Were you hesitant because of you know the bad reputation that networks had in Brazil? Or were you excited by the opportunity to do things differently? Yeah, at first we were concerned, but later we started to get excited because I founded that company with Dave and Alexander and they were creators themselves and they were being approached by those MCNs. So we, we started as a joke to say, you know what, let's do it and do it the way creators want it, the way we wanted them to be. Have you watched Futurama? Yes. Uh -huh. There's this character, Bender, right? Mm -hmm. The robot. And Bender is always telling jokes that he's going to leave the company, the, the company that they work for, and he's going to do, do things uh, his way, which is killing all humans. And we we started calling it the Bender Network. It would be the network that we, we were going to do our way. And that was a joke at first, but then... We started to develop this idea and decided to give it a shot. Well, if YouTube is approaching us and telling that we are the, the right people to do it, let's do it. Let, let's prove them right. And uh, it worked, actually, which is, again, impressive, right? This is the kind of thing that usually doesn't work, and it worked. But it worked, and we became the first Brazilian MCN to have shared sales rights, which is, was a big thing on Google at the time. And we started affiliating channels, but we were very selective on affiliating them. We only choose the channels that we thought it would be a good fit for brands. So there were a lot of, and that created scarcity effect because a lot of channels wanted to be an amazing pixel when we were denying them. And that's mostly because you wanted to keep, take control over who you worked with and, and made sure that those partners you did bring into the network, you had the ability to sell into their inventory. Yeah, exactly. And also because we thought, and this ended up being our best, you know, unfair advantage, we thought that we needed to have those creators on the table with the brands. I mean, a couple of years ago, brands started to hire celebrities like, I don't know, Will Smith or, you know, Kanye sure. to be their creative directors or something like that. So this was kind of like PR stunt, right? But we were doing that on a daily basis, for real, like bringing the creators who know their audience, who know how to make content succeed in the internet. And we were bringing them to the table with the brands to create a brand strategy. And this was very important. So that's why we always kept, we always kept it small, like with a handful of channels that were able to do that. They were enabled to work with, with the brands and to think how to create a better content to a brand. So during this time, you know, you are 
going from working at an agency to quickly joining the rapidly growing FTPI Digital, and then from that point become CEO of the company until you get restless and are eager for a new challenge and a new project. So you co-founded Amazing Pixel. All of this happened so quickly. Had you considered yourself an entrepreneur you know, up throughout that period? Or, you know, what was it like being a first-time founder? I just, I don't know. That's a good question. I I don't know because it just happened. You know, the opportunity was right in front of me and I just did it. It wasn't like I'm going to be entrepreneurs and I'm going to start a new thing. So the first one, FTPI Digital, I was working for a company and they needed that to be done. And I did. And the second one, it was like offered to me by YouTube. And that's why we did. So in one point, yeah, I'm an entrepreneur. I, I like to build things. But on the other hand, it was not like my idea. Like I was not like, you know, pursuing that. It was just something that naturally happened. Sure. And as I was telling you, Amazing Pixel started to, to take off. I decided to leave my position as CEO at Boobox, which I'm, uh, uh, I'm a partner yet. But I decided to leave the position as CEO so I could take, take care of Amazing Pixel because it was much more interesting and challenging. And so because of that, I think, yeah, I'm an entrepreneur because, you know, things when they are starting, when they are more challenging and more interesting. I mean, for me. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. What yeah. were some of the hard things in the early days at either FTPI Digital or at Amazing Pixel? It is hard to show that you are, because we are independent owned. Like we are not part of like I don't know WOPP or Omnicom or any other you know advertising giant. So it's really hard to convince other companies, clients, that you are able to do what the competition does on a very high level. And in the beginning, you feel like you're not on par with them, right? You feel like you're smaller, like you're less capable, and it's really hard to overcome that. To feel like to prove yourself that you, you are on the same level of those guys. Uh, when we were starting Amazing Pixel, I started to work with Google a lot, right? Because we are part of uh, Google's program, which is to be an MCN. And I could see like a lot of things that Google does, they are very basic, right? When you sell a campaign and you're gonna you know, run the pre-rolls, the ads, it's all based one shared spreadsheet. This is so like, basic, right? It feels like, it doesn't feel like a, a process of a big company like Google. And that's the way it is. And then you started to feel like this is how uh, all companies run. They base in emails and spreadsheets and I don't know, Slack or something. But it's kind of, this is it. This is how companies are run. And this was hard to, to learn. And when I finally learned that, it felt like, yeah, we have a big company. We have a company that is capable to work on a high level, to work, to be the, able to be the best. This is a company that's enabled to be the best in their field. And we've done just that. And when we realized that, that was when we started to, you know, represent big clients like Spotify, for example. Yeah, fantastic. Sounds like it demystified it a little bit and showed you that, you know, even a small startup could be as powerful in certain capabilities as a big giant. Exactly. Yeah. And this, this was a, a very good insight at that point. 
So despite the fact that you've been doing business in Brazil this whole time and, and running companies uh, in the Brazilian market, you've actually lived in the U.S. in Miami for a number of years. What inspired you to move to Miami? Yeah, when we started to, back in Boobox FTPI, when we started to uh, representing a worldwide platforms in Brazil, we realized that we would be able to uh, prospect more clients if we had a base in the U.S., so I was presented with the opportunity and I came and it was really good. I mean, we, we had this plan to represent more platforms and to expand into Latin America in five years. And we've done that in like two years. Wow. I'm, I'm not bragging like, yeah, I, I was really better than expected. It's actually, I think it was a bad forecast. So we had a plan for five years, but we were able to complete that in in two. And that's one of the reasons that also that I've started to focus more uh, on Amazing Pixel because my job here was done. So I focus on a new thing. I I focus on a new project. Yeah, that demonstrates just how quickly things move in the digital age, right? That we don't uh, need a five-year forecast anymore. In some cases, they're not even that useful because every six months or maybe even six weeks, there's a whole new sea change in the industry trends. Yeah, exactly. And we thought that the reason uh, we've done that so quickly is that because we started to, instead of uh, setting up business on our own everywhere, we decided to go for partnerships. So we started to partner with similar companies that had similar operations in Mexico, in Colombia, in Argentina, and that proved a better strategy because we're much more faster and it was less expensive. And so it worked. And we actually had, we actually set up a very good partnership with U.S. Media Consulting, which is a partner today in the Latin American space. So that happened. And I started to focus more on Amazing Pixel and developing Amazing Pixel throughout the last, I don't know, 15 to 16 months. And it was amazing because we had only five people working at Amazing Pixel. And we are growing on a 100% basis year over year. And it was doing so great, but we reached a point that we had to expand and I wouldn't be able to run this expansion anymore alone. So that's why we sold Amazing Pixel to Snack, which is a similar company, a similar MCN in Brazil, which was, which was doing a very, you know, they share the same vision that we have. That's great. Yeah, just last month, in fact, <laughs> Amazing Pixel was acquired by Snack. Yes, which is a Brazilian multi-platform network focused on social video, much like Amazing Pixel. So, how did you meet the Snack team, and how did that deal come about? They were the, the competition, and they were the best in competing with us because they they kind of have the same vision, where they're not just selling media and they're not just getting a cut from the creators' revenue. They they bring the creative strategy to the table, to the client. They work close with the brands and close with the creators to make good content and to make long-term commitments to enable brands to be on shows, to, to be sponsor of channels. So they were working much like we were working and they were the competition to beat. At one point, I set up a, a meeting with them. I, I didn't know them personally and I went to visit them. And I set up with Vitor, which is one of their partners. And I could see that we, we were, you know, we were fighting the same fight. And it would make sense for us to be together 
for us to join forces. Yeah, that makes sense. The, yeah. the businesses were very complementary and the skill sets in terms of thinking about pursuing a, a bigger international expansion strategy, it made sense to to come together to pursue that. Exactly. And we did just that. So we went to a Google Summit last year. We met again at a Google Summit in September. I met with you. Do you remember that? That's right. I was in LA and then we, we, we went to have lunch. Uh-huh. And at that time, I met with them again and we started talking about that. And we've been talking about that since then. And just last month, we closed that deal. Congratulations. That's incredible. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it was, it was great. So I'm curious, you know, it must be in some ways a bit challenging to try and explore such a conversation with a competitor. Were there ever any concerns around being so open and having a dialogue about your processes and, you know, the creators that you work with for fear of the deal falling apart and, you know, then having to go back out and sell against that competitor once again? Yeah, yeah, we had that concern. But, you know, you have to take a leap of faith when we are running a company you always feel like you have to protect your idea, right? You have that idea. You cannot share that with anybody because people are going to steal it. And as everybody says here in this show, it's much more about execution. If somebody gets to know your idea, that's not actually a very big problem because executing is the hard part. And when I made my peace with that, yeah, I'm going to share some some insights. I'm going to share some you know, business secrets. That's... You have to take that leap of faith if you want to be a part of something bigger. Yeah, that makes sense. Right? Yeah, of course, certainly. And, and you know, I think we've seen such an explosive growth in the influencer marketing, the online video space in recent years. And that's natural when you have new mediums, new platforms for audiences and creators to connect. But I'm curious if you think that there's going to be additional consolidation, right? There's There's certainly been instances of digital networks or agencies merging or acquiring one another in the past. And some some people think that you know, there's going to be much more consolidation in the future. What is your take on that? Well, I think we are on the verge of a very significant change in the advertising market. Just as we were talking before, the advertising market as a whole, and I mean, not just influencer market and not just uh, digital, the advertising market revolves around a standard uh, format, which is the 32nd ad on TV. This is still standard. This still happens. Even with YouTube, uh, even with uh, influencer market, even with Google and Facebook together being more than half of the advertising market, it still strategically revolves around this kind of format made for TV because that's how it's been since it was invented, since since, uh, TV was invented, maybe before that. And I think that's going to shift. Because the real estate, the ad space, is becoming more and more rare. It's becoming more and more hard to find. Because, you know, if you're watching broadcast TV or if you're watching cable TV, you are probably skipping commercials, right? You probably uh, recorded on your uh, DVR and you're skipping commercials. People pretend that they don't know that, but that happens. And people are shifting from broadcast TV and cable TV to on-demand. I mean, a couple of decades ago, a couple of years ago, if you go to, I don't know, your parents' house during the weekend, and they will, probably there's a TV on the living room, right? And unless there's a game on, they're watching some broadcast TV channel. It's on. The TV is always on in the house. This was, right? This was the standard before. 
A reliable Wi-Fi connection is as vital as your wallet. With Skyroam, you won't be trapped in a cafe or wander for Wi-Fi again. For work or fun, the Solus 4G LTE Wi-Fi hotspot has you covered with fast Wi-Fi across the U.S. and in 130 countries. And with its built-in power bank, devices stay charged on the go. Get data by the day, month, or gig. No contracts. Go to skyroam.com slash techpod to save 20% off a of Solus with code techpod20. Business Insider calls it a must-have travel gadget. Visit skyroam.com slash techpod. Offer code techpod20. But now, when you go to, to a house, any house, and the TV is on, it probably has a Netflix manual. Sure. Or an Apple TV manual on it, right? It's not, you know, there's not like an NBC or CBS on it with the sound muted mm. and running all the time, like it was before. People are more and more shifting to uh, on-demand TV, on-demand video. And that creates a scarcity for uh, advertising space. So at one point, there's going to be a new kind of standard. I think it's more likely, to, uh, I, don't, I don't think it's going to be, you know, the, the skippable ad on YouTube. That's good, but I don't think that's going to be like the most important format on the market. I think it's, it could be more, the Facebook promoted post is more likely. But that's video as well. But anyway, so because of that shift, I think it makes sense for advertising agencies, uh, advertising agencies and the advertising groups to join MCNs and to join tech companies to, you know, to look for this new, this new paradigm that this this market is going to bring because it's not going to be the same as it is today. I don't know what it's going to be, but I know that it's not going to be the same as it is today. And you're right, it's it's so early that we're still experimenting with what do those future ad formats look like. And YouTube, right, pioneered the skippable ad format with uh, TrueView, and then later on brought the six-second ad format into practice. And of course, Facebook is experimenting with more autoplay, pre-roll videos, but we don't really know where it's going to land. There might be more paid media experimentation, or we might just see this the pendulum continue to sw swing more towards influencer marketing and native advertising approaches. Yeah, we are always talking about this uh, when it comes to influencers. And I like to, I like to say that everything that's happening now has happened in the past in a slightly different way. So what we have today with uh, influencers, we might already had, I don't know, maybe in radio or, you know, uh, daytime TV with the merchandising. So it's kind of similar, right? Like when you have an influencer on a video promoting a brand, it's not that much different than when you have, I don't know, the host of NBC's uh, Today Show promoting a brand. It's kind of the same, right? Sure. And so you have to look to that and see in which direction did that go, right? So I think the influencer market is going to be a very important part of that, a very important part, much more important than it is today because it is integrated with the content. So if you're a brand and you're promoting your product through an influencer show, I don't know, on YouTube, you're actually making that show possible to the fans, right? And the fans, usually they engage with that because they think, oh my God, this brand recognizes this influencer, which is my idol, as somebody important, as somebody big, as somebody significant, I don't know. And this is, this is why these fans, they engage with those brands in the influencer uh, space, because they feel like the brand 
likes the same thing that they like and that they identify with the brand. And that's very important. That's very big. So I think it's going to be larger than that. It's going to be more significant than that. But it's not going to be the only thing when it comes to branded content. I'm, a, I'm an enthusiast of brands owning their own IPs. I think this is going to be an important part of the market in the future. And so what do you suggest? What do you recommend to brands that want to get into content production and own their IP? Well, it's not, it's not for everybody, but podcast is great. I mean, this is the reason that this show exists, right? So it's a podcast and presented by you. I don't know if I can say that, but anyway. you, you yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a podcast presented by you talking about the video environment and you have a company that caters for the video environment. So that makes sense. I mean, I never heard you promoting your company here on All Things Video. I don't know if you do that. No, the focus for me, I mean, the podcast started because through Paladin, I have the opportunity to talk to incredible founders and entrepreneurs like yourself all over the world. And I just wanted to share their stories. It's incredible how quickly the video industry changes. And so much of that is oral history that we don't really get to share. And so I wanted people to be able to learn from one another and offer perspectives and so it really is just kind of uh, scratching my own itch, you know, to put it to put it one way. It's just a passion project that uh, is a way for me to share these learnings and experiences with with more people. Awesome. That's really great. Thank you for doing that, actually, because I really <laughs> love the show. Really. Well, thank you. Yeah. And but anyway, you have a podcast that, you know, talks about the same subject that your company is about. Sure. So that makes a lot of sense. Because even if you're not promoting your uh, products or anything, it makes your company an important part of that market, of that environment, right? So I think this is, this is something easy. I know a lot of brands that they're doing that. I have a friend at SAP and they have the SAP cast and they're talking about, you know, new technologies and they're not talking about SAP itself, but they they becoming part of the, the market, of the culture, of the environment, just by you know, having, just by owning this podcast. So I think this is, this is a good way to start. But I can see like, you know, Westworld, uh, the HBO show. Of course. Yeah. Love Westworld. Yeah. Me too. That could be owned by a company. That could be owned by IBM, right? Mm. Wouldn't that make sense if IBM owned Westworld? And talk about Watson and artificial intelligence. Exactly. Yeah. So they can do that. And again, they don't have to make a show around talking about the brand, but could make a show where that relates to the brand in some capacity. And they have, you know, they can have the brand before the show starts and at the end, the show is brought to you. But that will make sense and that will make it easier for them to keep promoting, keep talking to the audience. I mean, this is just an example, but I think this could be one of the, as I said, advertising space, it's scarce. It's becoming more scarce, more and more. So owning your own IP could be one of the way to go when it comes to keep talking, keep keep communicating to your audience. Yeah. What other predictions do you have for the future of the digital media space? That's a very good question. <laughs> <laughs> What's coming next? Do you have three things that you forecast for the end of the year? Well, for the end of the year... Man, I don't know. I like to talk about uh, Latin America because I think I think this is the right time to start think, uh, for a company to start to uh, look to the Latin American market. You know, the exchange rate is not very favorable for the Latin American countries right now, mostly because you know the war on trade with China 
now uh, the possible crisis in Turkey, and that makes the exchange rate unfavorable to the Latin American countries. You buy on the low, right? So this is the right time to start to look at Latin America. If you have a tech company, if you have a fintech company, if you have an entertainment company like we do, that makes sense to start being Latin America right now. In Brazil, which is where I come from, Brazil is half of Latin America. Did you know that? Wow. In terms of population? That certainly makes sense. In terms of market, in terms of revenue. Wow. Brazil, in terms of the advertising market, Brazil is half of Latin America. Wow. So it's kind of different because Brazil speaks Portuguese. The rest of Latin America speaks Spanish. So that makes like a separation between those two sub-markets, if I can say that. And the Brazilian advertising has a very weird dynamic because they don't have media agencies. They just have full service agencies. Did you know that? No. Yeah, it's weird, man. There's a law forbidding media agencies to exist. It was lobbied by the largest media groups back in the 60s, I don't know. And they were trying to avoid for they to be in the hands of the large media brokers. So they lobbied the Congress and they were successful in creating this law forbidding media agencies to exist. You cannot buy and sell media. You cannot do that. This is not allowed huh. in Brazil. How weird is that, right? And at that time, the publishers, the TV channels, the radio stations, they created this rebates program where if an agency buys more media from them, they get a rebate and they get more money. And that was like good for everybody in the market in Brazil because agencies started to work for free for the clients. They said, yeah, we're going to take care of your creative and that's going to be for free because if you commit to buy a certain amount of media, because then they will get the rebate and then, you know, they will make ends meet. And... So that works for everybody. And that's how you worked in Brazil for decades. And it's being changed right now because of Google and Facebook. The audience is just right now in Brazil shifting from, really shifting from TV to digital media. And so that's why Brazil is a big, big market for companies to be in for the next years to come. And also Latin America. Argentina is in a low right now. They're not in the best shape economically, but... They can only grow from here. And Chile and Colombia, they actually doing really good. Mexico is doing good as well. So this is a very good time to be in Latin America, to start to, you know, to do business in Latin America. What are some of the primary differences in your experience that you've observed between doing business in the U.S. versus Latin America? Well, I can tell you some fun facts. The thing that you have to know is that Brazilians can't say no. <laughs> this is an important knowledge for you to do business in Brazil. I don't know if that goes for all Latin American countries, but Brazilians don't like to say no to your face. So sometimes when you go to a meeting and you present an opportunity, even if they're not interested, they're going to say they are. They will try to make you realize that that's not going to happen. This is really hard for, for foreigners doing business in Brazil. This is a really hard lesson to learn. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah, but the, it's because we don't, we don't want to be rude to say no to somebody's face, especially, especially a foreigner. So, so that's why it happens. I used to do that too. And at one point I learned that this was the bad thing to do. And then I changed. But if you're going to do business in Brazil, that's something that you have to know. They're not going to say no to your face. So try to read it and see if they are really serious about following following up with whatever you're offering. Uh-huh. Okay. Anything else? Well, as I told you, 
the Brazilian market has this weird dynamic with uh, rebates. In Brazil, they have like one TV channel ruling all the market. Huh. Yeah, we have one broadcast company, which is global. Don't get me wrong. They're really good at what they do. They're really professional. They really, they have a world-class level. They're one of the best TV stations in the world. But imagine if you have CBS, NBC, and ABC all together in one company. That's global. Yeah. So they have more than half of the market in their hands. They use their, that in their, their favor. So that's why TV is still so big in Brazil. And even Google and Facebook struggles with that. I mean, not anymore. They, they, they grow really fast in Brazil. But the Brazilian market is still to shift to a digital first, to a digital media first. It's still TV first. So this is actually an opportunity. And do you see that because they have this lack of incentive to innovate because they're so large and monopolistic? Yeah, yeah, a little bit of that. But because, you know, because of the rebates program that I told you about, mm -hmm. they still control much of the revenue on the agencies, much of the agency's revenue. Mm. Because the, the agency business model is, is largely depending on, on TV channels. Mm -hmm. So it's really hard to shift. And we actually had to struggle with that at Amazing Pixel because even sometimes you go to an agency or a brand and you present a really good plan that's going to be successful. It's clearly made to be successful. And they respond to you like, man, we got something good going on here and you're trying to ruin it, right? So don't, don't bring this good business here because they're going to perceive that the, the one that we already have is not that good. Can you see that? Can you understand that? Uh-huh. Sure. So there's a lot of struggle. I mean, you have to fight uh, that, that resistance. But this is happening a lot with, you know, new brands, new brands and new businesses. They have a hard time getting this space, getting into this space. So they rely on digital media to, to grow and they are succeeding. So because of that, other brands are following. So, uh, and also there's like this, you know, uh, world like global alignment by brands. So if a brand is, is investing digital first in all of the countries, they're going to invest digital first in Brazil as well. So this helps, this also helps to bring in that shift from traditional media to digital media. Very good. And what does the future hold for Amazing Pixel and Snack? Well... I think Amazing Pixel and Snack, they are the best company in the market right now for influencers and for influencers campaigns. And they really set to grow. They have a lot of good cases and they grow in Latin America. They're starting to, they're starting to run some companies in different countries like Colombia and Guatemala. So they grow internationally. They, they just became the largest independent owned MCN in Brazil and they're going to grow a lot in the years to come. Given you're a podcast listener, you inevitably know my last question, which I ask every guest. And that is, if you were starting a business in the digital media space today, what would you do? I know it's surprising, but I wasn't prepared for the question. <laughs> so, uh, well, I'm actually, I'm actually creating a platform. It's based on my podcast. So I'm creating a platform for creators to provide exclusive content for subscribers. So this is happening, actually. So it's not like, what would I do? It's not, it's not like a if, it's not like a hypothetical question. It's, it, this is really happening. Amazing. Yeah, I already have more than 1,000 subscribers on Googlecast. 
which is impressive, surprising. I wasn't expecting that. So I felt like I needed to create an app that's going to be more suitable to provide exclusive content. And I decided if I'm going to do that, I'm going to do that for everybody. So I'm developing this app. It's being developed right now. Other creators are going to be able to join in and provide content on a subscription-based for the subscribers. I think that's one other thing that we're going to, that we have to look into. If advertising is becoming more scarce, it's because paid content it's become, it's becoming more available. Actually, it's becoming more palatable for the, the audience. At first, on the internet, people didn't like to pay for content, right? This was kind of like, why do you pay for, I don't know, email? And right now, especially after all these scandals with uh, data being stolen and sold, I think people are more likely to pay for good content. And this is happening, sure. right, with Netflix and Hulu and Spotify. And this is one direction to look to, paid content. That doesn't have to be available only for large companies. It has to be available also for creators. So that's why I'm building this app. That's awesome. So for people who want to learn more about that app, where do they go? They're going to have to wait. It's being developed yet. But when I think it's going to be on this this year, hopefully. And it's going to be on a first for Google Cast. So it's in Brazil, it's in Portuguese. But as soon as you have this launched, I'm going to let you know. We can tell people here in all things video. Definitely. would love to. Yeah, you know, I'm a big supporter of anything that helps creators make money doing what they love and support their passions. So things like Patreon, other, you know, revenue generating sources that help creators build a direct audience engagement with their fans is incredible, right? It's reshaping entertainment as we know it. It's revitalizing the music industry. So this sounds like an incredible project in that vein and would be happy to share with more people. Yeah, me too. I like that too. But I don't like the idea of asking for donations. Mm. I mean, it makes sense at one point. It makes sense for some kind of business. I mean, it makes sense for Wikipedia. But if you're creating content, why not sell it? Right? Why not sell a subscription like uh, Netflix does? Sure. So I like this idea that you can truly and honestly uh, sell your content, not just you know provide it freely and ask for donations. So that's why we're building this building this app. Great idea. Well, we'll stay tuned for more information about that. Yeah, I'll let you know. Where can people find out more about you and more about Amazing Pixel and Snack? Amazingpixel.com is the website. I'm on Twitter. I love Twitter. So you can follow me at, at uh, Guga Mafra. And anywhere, any social media, I'm Guga Mafra all together. Uh, so Guga Mafra. So it's easy to find me. Cool. Well, Guga, this has been so much fun. Thank you for taking the time to share the incredible success story of Amazing Pixel and your experiences working in the Latin American market as well as the U.S. and uh, some thoughts on the future of the video space. Always great to talk to you. And this has been a delight. So thanks again. It was awesome. Thank you very much. I loved it. Thanks for tuning in. I'm James Creech, and this has been another edition of All Things Video. If you like what you hear, we hope you'll share and subscribe for new episodes. See you next time.